0: Hello, and welcome to Wrecking Thrones. I am James Kelly, and I got a wonderful panel on to talk about the Blackfire. So how about you introduce yourselves?
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Stephen Atwell. I uh, write uh, Race for the Iron Throne. And uh, I'm Jim again,
2: commonly called Something Like a Lawyer, back for, I think this is round four for Uh, the... uh...
0: Yeah, yeah, this is uh, round four. So last week we had a wonderful... Talk about the what we dubbed the the Silver Age of Westeros, <laughs> and uh, Jim came up with a wonderful relationship metaphor to describe th- this period, of that you have these these wild, exciting but bad boyfriends in in the Aegon the the unworthy, Darren the young dragon, and Balor the blessed, and you had the the boring but good husbands in Aegon the the dragonbane and, Viserys the second. But unfortunately, the it wouldn't be a good story if the if the boring husbands won. So, bad boyfriends won in the end. And so, I mean, what, what Stephen has talked about this before, and Stephen chime in. Mm-hmm. But basically, the great thing that that well, to kind of not yet too bogged down in it, but like the Silver Age was that this great question of that Jaharis had created this a dracocracy for the mm-hmm. Targaryens monarchy. And unfortunately, because of what Rhaenyra and Aegon, the usurper, did was they removed the dragons off the table. Yeah. And so it was a big question that the Silver Age was trying to address. It was like, well, what do we do now that we don't have dragons?
2: Yeah,
1: I I sort of write about this period as like um, a a series of attempts to like refound the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what is our going to be our new thing? Is it going to be, you know, in the case of Darren, the first, right. An external war uh, in the case of Baylor the blessed, is it going to be this sort of um, national religiosity um, in the case of um,
0: Aegon the third? It was, it was just, I'm going to give you bread and you're on your own for circuses.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, we're still in, you know, a little bit of a sort of like blank spot um, with regard to the later reign of Aegon the Third. Like, yeah. Given given the way that like Fire and Blood Volume One is structured, yeah. Like, true we, enough. We have, you know, at this point, a fairly good recounting or like a, a fairly detailed recounting of like what was happening under the Regency, uh, and then just like very little after that. Um. So you know, you have this like series of projects and in some ways aegon the fourth is kind of like an attempt to redo um both Daron and Baylor at the same time they're schizophrenic right you know on yeah. the one hand, he wants to fight these additional wars with Dorn they're not really effective um but on the other hand he has this uh peace process you know inherited from um
0: Baylor. yeah yeah
1: from Baylor, and you know embodied in his son um that he sort of can't quite wriggle out of mm-hmm. um and the sort of the country goes back and forth and one of the things that i've sort of been wondering about um you know what was going on under the surface is what was happening to the the feudal structure at this time <sighs>
0: So, w- when we talked about, and this is a perfect starting, jumping off point, mm-hmm. is that is that what Aegon the Unworthy was doing, basically, like his type of answer to the, what do we do now we don't have dragons, is that he wanted to exploit the largesse of, of the king, and that, yeah. and that I'm the spoil system, and that whoever bribes me the best gets the best reward. And so, in essence, he is making the, the, the kingship this target of affection and ambition but he's somewhat intentionally and somewhat just inadvertently creating massive massive factionalism yeah and so that there's sounds about the, right and there's a and we, we talked about this is that there's basically a, there there's a, the 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 Baylor inspired Darren f- prince darren faction that wants peace with dorne there's these factions that want war with dorne and there's all these other factions that are just trying to bribe Aegon of saying like hey i got a daughter like the ones that are willing to stomach the atrocity say they can be like um what's his name butterwell and just say hey i got three daughters like ooh, three daughters all yeah. right and,
1: and and one of the things that that you sort of see within that is all of these like pre-existing feuds right the black oh yeah the brackens in the blackwoods most demonstrably so everything is getting rechanneled through this kind of royal pol you know spoilsmanship politics and this
0: is obviously as we talked about this is an incredibly short-sighted bad idea because this is creating factions is horrendous in and of itself when it's not a political party kind of situation and we already know how wonderful political parties are, but that's a whole other debate. Uh, and and the fact that he is, but he is also fathering bastards that he openly acknowledges and and showers with, with lo- his largesse Yeah, is just creating rallying points for what is going, to, what does happen in the Blackfire era. Now you mentioned earlier the Blackwoods and Brackens, and part of the fascinating thing is we're going to talk about now is that. This is one like indisputably this is the apex of the Brackens and Blackwood's power in Westeros. Mm. Like this is when they're inextricably tied to the to the Iron Throne and mm-hmm. one and the Blackwood is even Queen of Westeros at one point. Which yeah, and you is get, you pretty know, hands damn the impressive. King,
1: yeah. You know. And and in in some cases, you know, it I mean even the leaving aside uh, what Aegon you know, does with sort of eventually legitimizing all of his bastards, the fact that he just keeps vocally, openly questioning the succession yes. is part of that destabilizing thing, because it means that, like, you know, the Brackens, for example, you know, it, 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 in some ways it's sort of, you know, completely logical for them to assume, like, we might be able to get our kid on the you know the, yeah. the future uh uh you know, that's Agar, a good point. like it, yeah that, is, he might legitimately yeah. become the heir to the iron throne it could happen so why not push ahead
0: and later on when they uh, try again i was like saying okay well do you like your 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 former lover's sister and that's the bethany yeah yeah bethany and just like all that situation is just Trying to target and create this real, this is obviously creating corruption, and this is obviously creating a huge problem. And why he is called Aegon the Unworthy is he knows he's doing this. It's not—that's what we talked about before. But it's—it's it's so strange and perplexing is that unlike Maegor and all the other bad th- kings, at least believed in what they were doing, but just Aegon knew it was wrong, knew it was bad and just did it anyways cuz he's a dick. Mm. And so then we get the legitimization and I we okay, so let's get into now the the big the start of it and the start of the Blackfire era with with uh, the reign of, of Darren II. the 2nd. Darren the 2nd and uh, I said this for when I posted it on Reddit, but, and okay, if guys, like I've had both of you on to talk about the first Blackfire Rebellion. I think this podcast has already spent about four hours total on the black, the first Blackfire Rebellion, mm-hmm. but I don't care. Let's talk more about it because okay. this is such a fascinating period. And the thing is with both Darren and Damon is you, you basically cannot be neutral about them. It's it's impossible to be neutral about these these figures. They're such fascinating foils to one another. They're these big, big, impactful figures. And no one has, like... Kind of, like, the most you can get is, like, a dunk who's just saying, like, uh, well, uh, both sides fought nobly. Uh, it was a long time ago. It's complicated. But just everyone has an opinion on this it's crazy
1: yeah
0: and so immediately and uh jim what do you think of when of that once darren comes into power he does try to immediately shore up his legitimacy and say i'm wearing my father's crown i am my father's heir but he also either makes the mistake or good gesture of respecting his father's will and letting his all his bastard brothers and sisters presumably be given titles lands
2: well and, not all not all of them receive lands i mean damon yes. explicitly received a, a a fief and he was granted the the right to raise a castle there but i mean you don't really see agor rivers getting anything and uh blind bloodraven Looks like he he became a counselor, but we're not exactly sure when that happened. So yeah. uh, certainly, I can see first off respecting the will is going to be a given no matter what. Because one, if he starts undermining that, then he realizes that everyone can start undermining things. It 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 opens up a nasty can of worms in mm-hmm. terms of pre- in terms of precedent where you can say, oh no, uh, he had uh, brain damage, he was sick as he was dying, and well, so we're uh, not gonna we're not gonna respect that. Well. But,
0: Oh yeah. I mean I mean to be blunt but, but I mean that's what what Queen Allison did immediately once Viserys the first died and so there's there's been precedents before of like blowing off a king's yeah, dying but, wishes. But look
1: look what happened look what yeah. happened yeah. after that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I I I think that you know Daron probably correctly assumed that you know if he takes the throne in a context in which you know his legitimacy is publicly questioned and undoes the king's will, then all of those people, he's just given a a motivation to rebellion, right? A a very sharp spur. And I think he was, you know, hoping that if he kind of went with the flow, that that would, you know, at at the very least sort of slow things down and space them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, he was able to buy peace for several years.
0: Yes, and so... But I mean, and the thing I love pointing out, and something that I had to basically read between the lines of the World of Ice and Fire and also connect a so spake Martin, but it's, even though he is, Darren is trying to make the best of the situation and be as magnanimous as possible, he does mysteriously or conspicuously give Damon lands right next to the Red Keep or not the Red Keep, but you know, King's Landing, yeah. the Crown Lands. As if he is clearly already saying, like, spying on him, or making sure he is well within his sights. And definitely, as um, the So Spake Martin speaks volumes about that. But, and we'll get into the this, but when he definitely, it was very much a conscious decision to make sure that by Darren, that Daemon did not marry Daenerys. Yeah. I was saying, like, it was very much, despite what, what like, uh, the, the Maycars would tell Egg, it's like, no, that was very much a, like, it was two birds with one stone. It was very much two birds with one stone.
2: Well, also, you have to remember that uh, the betrothal between Rohan of Tyrosh and Damon was already set by Aegon IV, Yes. Uh, so, so if if Dave if De'ron decided to back out of that, one, he's angering Tyrosh, and mm-hmm. that that's just not a good plan for him. And for two, who who else? I mean, maybe he marries Daenerys, but it's also possible that he could make a more advantageous local feudal marriage. Uh, that would give. Any potential rebellion and even more uh, an influx of man and man and material <laughs> in terms of fighting a war. So, I mean, it's kind of like when you saw when Ares II sent off, um, Stefan Baratheon to try and find a uh, a Valyrian blooded bride for Rhaegar, and it's explicitly mentioned that the reason why he does it is because he wants to make sure she has no strong standing on the continent itself so that Rhaegar can't form a faction that could actually be a threat to Ares the second. So you can kind of see playing politics that letting the Rohan of Tyrosh marriage to Damon go through is not a necessarily a bad idea. It isn't. I mean and it's also part of um
0: well then like there's all the 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 blacks, the supporters of uh, the black dragon are quick to like find explanations for why it's like, well, even the, if that's true, it's, he still wanted to marry Daenerys. And it was probably like, you know, he was going to be a tar- true Targaryen of just like multiple whys, It's fine. Whatever.
1: Yeah. There, there's that whole thing about like, what did Aegon the fourth promise? Yeah. And you know, what did Daemon Blackfyre have in mind? Because like, if that story is true, then it does paint Daemon as something of a megalomaniac right as as someone mm-hmm. who's sort of uh Targaryen romanticism you know possibly inherited from his father possibly inherited from his mother maybe both mm-hmm. uh outstripped his his you know good judgment uh because yeah. i think by this point you know there there really would have been a sort of a political crisis uh if you'd tried to um, Yeah,
0: that that strangely reminds me of another Targaryen prince we're going to have to talk about later on yeah uh, I don't know who I'm. I don't know who I'm talking about, but just it's reminding me of one particular and, one. Uh,
1: yeah, and yeah. it's an interesting thing. Like you know, we know that Damon's sons had the whole like prophetic vision thing. You know, yeah, well, things, well, but we don't know about him, Damon himself.
0: Yeah, he. Well, okay, and this is also again, and we we've had this debate several times, but again, uh, well, let's just talk about it right now then. Like the the amazing thing about the foil nature of, of Damon and egg of uh, not egg Damon and, and Darren, like just, just an R and an M separating the two in terms of name. But like, just as Sir Eustace recalls and tells it to us is that like Darren was this kind of spindly, as Steven said on this podcast, he was basically a nerd. He was this kind of like, what the heck? You're our king, you're our dragon king. Like, like yeah, Aegon the Unworthy was fat, but you're, you're young. Like, why aren't you like a warrior? And Daemon, meanwhile, is this truly awesome knight. He is Aemon the Dragonite again, in, in some ways. He is this legendary knight, only to soon be eclipsed by Baylor Breakspear, but he is this. He's credited as the warrior himself at times, and he—he he basically, I think, is one what young Robert seemed like. And he's also, from what we can gather, I think a bit of a uh, of a a mix between honorable and also pr- proud. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always the the great. Part of thing, and like what I love the history part sections that Martin does is that he doesn't he lets it kind of be ambiguous there as to really either, you can see Damon as this guy who is essentially cornered into a rebellion in in a lot of ways, or he's this ambitious, jealous grasping re- jerk who who had like some honorable traits but mostly was just a grasping ambitious man who sought the and betrayed a brother a half-brother that was pretty decent to him so all right let's talk about then uh what what does happen is that he what what basically and we we've talked about this many times well let's say it again in a lot of ways, what, what does start the, the first Blackfire Rebellion is Darren's deal, alliance with Dorne. And it's a shame, because like on paper, it's an incredibly smart decision. It's the right decision. But at the same time, it just is also this catastrophic bungling that just makes all the factions all aligned to, to Damon, all the like anti Darren factions lie to Damon because of this, I feel.
1: Yeah. I, I would call it sort of more a failure of managing um, expectations and emotions mm-hmm. that, you know, um, because, you know, it did take a while. Like that's the thing that's, that's a little hard to wrap your minds around is that we're talking, you know, almost a 10 year delay. Right, it's not that the the treaty goes into effect and instantly, you know, the the Reach rises up and the Stormlands rise up and these sort of ancient blood feuds reassert themselves. It takes some time and the politics get weird. Like, who's on what side, which way... You know, you can't always um, predict who's going to be on what side. Um, And, you know, sometimes choices are made on the basis of local rivalries. Like if the Brackens are going to be on one side, the Blackwoods are going to be on the other um, and, and so forth. Um, But the, this is why like one of the things that I I talked about earlier that I wonder about, like what were the conditions of feudalism in this period of, of Aegon and early Daron, is that, you know, one of the things that, that we've mentioned uh, in the past, trying to understand, like, what was it that brought the the blacks together? There are a lot of the number two houses. Like, yes, one of the things that's really funny is, for a war that supposedly really did divide the country, like, 50-50, all, pretty much all of the great houses are on one side. Mm-hmm. And you sort of have to wonder, like, well, okay... Why is it that the Blackfire Rebellion just didn't end, you know, with a complete squishing, right? Yeah. And it just, you know, the yeah. whole thing never reasserts itself. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that you had all of these number twos, all of these yeah. underlying tensions, these crises that really, you know, it, the the Brackens and the Blackwoods, I think, are are a great example of this is like – these underlying crises where the, the root causes hadn't really been dealt with that, you know, mm-hmm. the best that had been accomplished was that they sort of put a, a lid on the pot. Right. And <laughs> kept it at a simmer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone takes this, you know, crisis as like an opportunity to get theirs back. Yeah. And like, you, I think Eustace well, I mean, Eustace uh, is, is a perfect is a example. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 he is,
0: because it's just that. Well, I was once owner of this great castle, and I was once. I mean, like he never was, and that's part of like the that kind of the dangers of lordship, where it's just like you. Well, yeah, your your ancestors were, but you haven't been. Yeah.
1: but that you, that never speaks to like how long some of these tensions have been building up, right? Because Osgraves, oh, yeah. like the Osgraves def- fall from grace starts under Maegor. Yeah. So for practically the whole of the Targaryen monarchy there you know these tensions have been building up. Mhm. Um and you know you got to think that that's also happening in these other cases like the the reigns and the frays and the Bracken's the Boltons and
0: stuff like that. Actually this is something i want to ask you you know the north uh, i haven't heard a lot about the north participating in the in the blackfire rebellions uh who did i I, i'm assuming lord stark if he did fight at all fought for the fought for um the red dragon but what about the other northern houses
1: there as far as we can tell the north does not get involved okay um and You know, there are a couple things that could explain it. Um, Number one, the last time that the North got involved in national politics, Cregan Stark's heir died. So there might have been this, right, in in Dara the First War. So there might have been this sort of sensibility of like, look, all that it leads to is our men go off to the South and die for reasons that are really unclear. Um, second, the Skagosi Rebellion happened uh, sometime during the reign of the II. And that was a pretty long and bloody grinding affair, so they may have been completely distracted with that. Um, and then we know that uh, Dagon uh, Greyjoy's raids, a yeah. uh, little bit later on, absolutely caused this internal crisis uh, within the the you know, how Stark. And then uh, a little bit even later, uh, you get a uh, king beyond the wall, uh, Raymond Redbeard, who comes over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it looks like there's sort of like, there's not so much one reason as like a whole succession of reasons why the North just does not seem to be involved in any way.
2: And also the, the death of Cregan's heir left kind of a power struggle within Winterfell itself towards these different, Brothers and half brothers scheming for sisters, each other. Sisters, lots yeah. of sisters. Well, well i say the sisters get screwed over. If I if I'm remembering the the little blurb of the she wolves of Winterfell correctly, they're the yeah, ones yeah. who end up being the big losers in the whole thing. But well,
1: but the- they're also some of the faction leaders because like they're married into like Umbers and Manderleys and Carstarks, and so it's like yep. they're not they're not politically isolated. They've got some. I mean, not yeah. all of like the 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 poor uh, Blackwood. Daughters yeah. sort of seem to to um kind of like disappear yeah. from the record, but yeah. you know there's a lot of, of powerful Stark uh, widows out there. Yep, you know yeah. with, with in, former in laws and and yeah. uh, you know daughters that they you know can stake claims for. So you can imagine any Stark leader would not want to leave Winterfell
2: because if they leave Winterfell with the strength, with you know their, the vassals to go and fight in the first Blackfyre Rebellion, they come back and somebody else is saying, but I'm the Lord of Winterfell now. Similarly, all of these other factions could say, look, we're not going to send our people to fight for whichever uh, Black Dragon or Red Dragon because our faction strength is needed up here for this struggle for Winterfell. So you can see mm-hmm. how this factional struggle could, in fact, just distract the entire North to stay inwardly focused as opposed to, to what's going on with the, the Black Dragon and all that. Okay,
0: fair, fair enough. That's a wonderful thing, and that's something I wanted to ask, and that's why I have you guys on to talk about this kind of stuff. So, and uh, what, what you were talking about earlier, Stephen, that, that is interesting, is, and it is true, is basically, like, we when we think of... of uh, of Dar- Darren, either Darren the Good or Darren the Falseborn, you 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 think of the Blackfyre Rebellion as pretty like almost a year or so in into Darren's reign, but it doesn't happen for until about halfway through his reign that this really manifests and it really gets to this point. And that's part of the great ambiguity of Damon is that it's just like was well, just this kind of trickle down of like. Of just slights and slights and slights and slights until eventually he just was like, "All right, no, I'm going for it." Well, was it the lords just being frustrated at the the Dornish and other people replacing them in in the court and just jealous lords kind of pushing Damon to seek the the, the Iron Throne, or was Damon just building on their resentment and slowly building his coalition? We're never going to get...
1: Or, you know, I think there's another possibility, which is that all of this was ultimately about the Bracken-Blackwood feud, that it was Bittersteel and Bloodraven. Yes. Because we know that, like, Bittersteel was playing a key role in sort of uh, managing and, like, coalescing a faction together, and that, like, Bloodraven was starting... Was sort of like, almost a freelance Master of Whisperers beca- before he became Master of Whisperers. Yep. So, you know, it's entirely plausible that, you know, Bittersteel was engineering a rebellion and Bloodraven sort of uh, was agent, agent provocateuring a rebellion both for the, you know, both to gain influence for their, you know, their side in this family feud that you know had gone back through the generations
0: now i'm gonna ask both of you guys this question just um some fans um and steven you've talked about how martin loves the war with the human heart mm-hmm. when when blood raven says to to brand that he had a brother he hated we all know who he's talking about there yeah 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 like no br- duh but when it comes to the brother he loved so oh, it's like absolutely to, Damon. Oh yeah, 100%. Oh, you do think it, so you do think it's Damon. Like first oh, time I read it, I thought I thought it was Darren. Like, oh yeah, Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like so so really, so you think that well,
1: I think he respected Darren, but I I don't think the two of them were sort of personally close. But I mean, I think, you know, especially the two, you know, um you know, Dar- Darren was older. You know, he, he was already yeah. a political force when Bloodraven was born.
0: Yeah. Whereas Bloodraven and uh, Bloodraven
1: and Damon were, were very close in age, mm-hmm. and they're growing up in the same place. Like that's the slightly odd thing about this trio of individuals is Igor is banished from court. Right. He yes. grows up at Stonehenge out in the Riverlands. You know, well it's
0: not so much a bittersteel bitter steel that's banished as in like his family is banished. Yeah,
1: but you know, yeah, but, he, you he's know. gonna grow up, right? What's he gonna hear growing up is like, "Oh, your dad who secretly loved you, you know, would never have done this if it wasn't for those bastard Blackwoods down, you know." Yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's, True it's enough, a hooten yes. and a fussin. Um yeah. <laughs> you know, but know. but Bloodraven and Damon grew up together in the Red Keep and you know, you gotta think that, you know, here is this, like, you know, relatively lonely albino kid who, you know, is probably not treated well by other children based on the way he looks. And yeah. there's his, you know, um, his half-brother who is, you know, everyone's darling. He is the wunderkind. He is a yeah. prodigy. <laughs> You know, and, you know, from everything that we know, this sort of, like, you know, acme of chivalry, right? So, you know, how could you not be this sort of, like, tag-along younger brother, you know, admiring this person that you could never live up to? But, you know, I think, you know, whether he did it purely for ambition or whether he made the decision that, like, you know, no, no... how. You know, no matter how much I love this person, you know, they're not the rightful king and Darren is and I have to support the rightful king. Like whether it was for advancement or or on principle or a mixture of both, uh, I think he, he, you know, made the decision, um, you know, to, to side against the brother he loved. And I think that's why the, the moment where he crests that hill and orders his archers to fire on Damon and his children is like, so right for that human heart at war with itself. Like if he mm. hated, you know, if he hated Damon or even if he was completely, uh, you know, apathetic towards him, it's like, there's no emotional arc there. There's no yeah. tension. But if he, you know, if this is the guy he loved, then oh my god it's heartbreak yeah well that's also just so it's
0: it's one of the coldest things ever if if that's the brother he loves because because he, he gets his brother out there by killing his son first
2: yeah well like the, the, yeah and it's important to know that from everything we get of Damon. now first off let's just caveat Damon is a bit of a blank state. And I believe Martin wrote him intentionally to be so, so that people could project their own thoughts and feelings and ambitions and everything onto this lost Damon. And this, this idea they could make him what he was because they're the ones who carry the flame with them long after Damon has been uh, dead. But Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll debate there. There's two things like
0: that. Eustace says, that I think are in there for nuggets of like that. Damon did have his honorable qualities to him, of that oh, one, well, that, I... that 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 he dragged uh, Sir Corbray Pentrose off the field after he had slain yeah. him, Wayne and yeah. Yeah. and that like it's it's that it, that uh, Aegon was first slain. That's what draws Damon to try to rush
2: out and save him. Oh, I, I was about to when I was to finish. I say, from everything we get, he truly does seem to practice what he preaches and believes it to be so. That, that's that's okay, where yes. I was going with that. Okay, that, sorry. Yeah, that, that he really seemed to be a type of guy who accepted the the code of chivalry and the tenets of chivalry and applied them yeah. to his daily life. So you can imagine that Brendan Bloodraven, Damon might have been one of the only people who was ever really nice to him mm-hmm. in a way, in a, in a genuine fashion. Now, certainly the the servants are going to say, "Yes, my lord." Uh, and just because that's, that's what they're supposed to do. And they're going to lose, they're going to lose their hands if they don't. Mm-hmm. But Damon w- might've been the one person who really was just genuinely friendly. And, you know, he would say like, Hey, what book did you read? And then certainly Blood Raven would see after about three minutes of explaining the book that, uh, Damon's a little confused and lost, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, aff- the affection, I mean, no, no, Damon's intelligent. None of the great bastards are unintelligent. No. But uh, you could definitely see that Damon being really nice to Bloodraven, and then having to make that hard choosing, essentially with the Stannis, you know, my my father or my king. This is Brendan Bloodraven saying my my king or my brother, uh, and that's his hard choosing. And certainly we can see that that that's what makes it really meaty. Is that? Uh, oh, and then also this uh, certainly we can see that probably Damon and Bittersteel were very close. I mean, they're both. Marshal. they're they're oh, excellent warriors. Yes. They they yeah. like the military aspect. So you could see Bloodraven seeing him spend time with his hated brother Bittersteel and saying, "No, he's leading you down the wrong path." Like maybe there's something I could You've do to see him
1: with a bad crowd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he thinks, "Well, yeah.
2: there's there's nothing I could have done." That eventually, when when he gets up to the what's it what's the the Weeping Ridge, when he says. This is where my hated brother led my beloved brother, and it kills me to have to do this and so you can see that as as sort of a, a, a just you know t- t- tying your soul into knots, and that's exactly what Martin likes to go for oh yeah i mean absolutely. C- certainly martin Martin is always the type of guy that after he writes a good moment, he makes sure to twist the knife just a little bit more
0: mm-hmm. so oh yeah, so what you're saying is that, and I do love this is that when Martin says, like the, the couple people that are the one in Eamon's theoretical one in ten thousand, is that when you are that one in ten thousand that chooses duty over love, which even Stannis chose love over duty, at first. Maybe later he won't, but he chose Robert over his king. Is that Damon did? Is that Bloodraven did choose Darren over Damon, the brother he loved? That's great. That's great. And, But when you do choose duty over love, that there's a lot of consequences of we, – we'll talk about poor or Just – I'll say it right now. Just poor Eamon just watching as his house dies all around him, and he's – the only reason he's spared is because he's in the Night's Watch. But also, quite frankly, it's just because they forgot about him, and he just has to live with it. has to live with knowing, like, all my family are dead, and there's nothing I could do about it. And Damon Bloodraven it's okay, I've chosen my side, now I have to. With one moment I could end this war. I'm going to do it.
2: Unfortunately, then his later conduct, he starts the wars back up anew. yeah, that, that's so, that, yeah, <laughs>
1: that is so that is so emblematic of Blood Raven is that yeah. like, he he has the mentality of the pragmatist, right? He's yes. like you know with this one thing I can end the war and what he never realizes is that in so doing he creates the seeds for the next war that like you know his his actions become uh uh you know uh, a casus belli, yeah. right that you know the the yeah. third one <laughs> yes the third well, 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 will be yeah. you know you know to avenge the murdered Damon. And then, you know, the fourth to avenge the murdered Hagon. Yeah. And then, you know, by the time that he's like waving Anus Blackfire's head around Great, great Council is just like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're yeah. you're, you're, you're sort of like cutting off your own hand right, <laughs> yeah. to save the rest of you. But it's like you have to keep going back and keep going back. And before you know it. You know, you're you're up on the wall and even that's not good enough. And now you go, you know, go get stuck in a tree for the rest of eternity. I'm Blood Raven and I'm here to help. <laughs> well,
0: oh. I, I do admire Brother Raven. I think Bloodraven is is the nicer version of Tywin of that. Oh, man,
1: I don't know. But that's, know. that's, but that's what it is,
0: is that is that he's Tywin on the right side of history, but that still is means he's still a Tywin type. And that's I mean, not possibly exactly a less good...
1: motivated by, like, roiling internal insecurities and hatreds that he doesn't acknowledge, but, you know, man, like, creating a national police state oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't Ugh. even manage to, like, protect against the Ironborn, that, that is, that, that takes him doing okay so let's we'll start... all suffer for my anti blood or to make sure that the
2: black fires don't invade and then the black fires invade and everyone's like, wait a minute yeah well let's I think that's a decent transition
0: I don't know how much we want to talk about the first blackfire rebellion I mean it's left
1: to say at this point
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like yeah we, we we we've said a lot in in, in this podcast about it and we, we we've kind of said most of what what, what I will say I, I'm curious though what, what do you? So maybe do you think that Bloodraven might have been sincerely invited to to the the beginnings of the conspiracies, and that's when, like as the world of ice and fire alludes, like there was a spy in there, probably I'm, Raven,
1: who I, then like I think was... alerted
0: and tried and tried to say like, hey, Darren, I, bro, bro.
1: Given how like intimately involved Bittersteel was with said conspiracizing. The last person in the goddamn yeah, world true, true, that he would true. ever invite true enough. would be true Blood Bloodraven. Yeah, so like, you know, maybe Damon himself said something, but like that is that is the only scenario I could see. More likely, it's just like, you know, he's a thousand eyes and one, right? You know, you don't yeah. need to be there in person for that to work.
0: Well, but then again, he could also be um, Ambrose Butterer welling it. Or not, not Ambrose Batoril. Who am I thinking of? Um, Alan. What, what's the name he uses when he, uh, in
1: uh, in oh, Mist Night?
0: Uh, um, uh, Plum. Yes, Sir Maynard Plum. He's maybe he's Maynard plumbing it. Maybe when, when, when it's happening. We don't
1: know when he learned to do that. That's the tricky thing. Is, like, yeah, it's like there's whole enough. other side to Bloodraven that is like all about magic and green seers and the. You know, the prophecy of the prince who was promised and it's like when that when did that start? It's yeah. kind of unclear. I, I have a good I, I have a th- idea
0: for when I think the, the magic, I think from like the that little hint in in the world of ice and fire of a spy, I think that's Blood Raven. I totally think that's Blood Raven. So I think he, he was already doing that, but in terms of like prophecies and starting to be a bit falling into that Targaryen trap of like, ooh, Prince that was promised, that all comes up when when aries the first comes into power
1: mm. could be yeah.
0: so so Certainly,
2: uh, uh aries being in power would would add more access for blood raven to actually get all of this arcane esoterica where he might have learned this sort of thing yeah. if he was a counselor for Daron seems to be a little bit more pra- practically focused on ruling the realm and if Blood Raven was a counselor at any point, he'd probably had his duties
1: yeah, he would have been revolved busy. around
2: Yeah, revolve around actually managing the kingdom.
0: So okay, before we end though, or, or at least talking about the first Blackfyre Rebellion, I do think we should mention that and what do you make of this? Like this, this is kind of the what what Robert encounters later on. But in either let willingly or not Damon's children escape and managed to get over to the east Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and was that a mistake was that dangerous i mean obviously it was but but...
1: i i don't think it was really a a kind of an active policy on their part i think it was more just agor got there first like i'm sure that you know if if Raven hadn't been recovering from like having his eye cut out <laughs> um, you know the, and you know the the Royal Army having just been like you know really battered to hell yeah um, you know they they would have captured them and I'm sure held them in you know comfortable confinement as the phrase goes yeah but you know just Agor got there first, got them on a ship and got them out and once that happens you know what are you gonna do? tyrosh is not going to give them back
2: yeah and let's not remember let's remember that also all of Damon's children were below the age of majority except for the the twins who died on the red grass yeah so they wouldn't have been brought with the, the the army that would have been they would have been comfortably at home in uh you know, wherever uh Damon established his uh his capital.
1: Yeah. Yeah, his mm-hmm.
2: cap his uh his capital. And so when that happens the new the news of it is going to go much faster than any writer ever could. So once that happens, I mean Bittersteel could have easily sent a message saying, Hey, get everything prepared. As soon as I get there, we are
1: leaving. I yeah, want- well, I mean, Alan Cockshaw remembers Bittersteel showing up. Mm-hmm. So, he was somewhere there. Yeah. So, okay. I just
0: wanted to bring it up because it's, I mean, always the threat of the Blackfires, and this is something rereading uh, A Game of Thrones, it, it, I almost wish that they could, that Martin would rewrite to just talk about the Fire rebellions, because that <laughs> is, the Fire rebellions, and that's, I, I, I will actually be... I forgive D and D for not mentioning it in, in Game of Thrones, but it's just like the Blackfyre rebellions are such a great argument for why Robert has to kill Daenerys, as monstrous as that is. It's just like it's like as long as there is a rival claimant out there, it is always a problem.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, you it know, is he hadn't always had a problem. I- he hadn't had the idea. Idea,
0: yet. yeah, he hadn't. It, yes,
1: like even you know like I, I just wrote my essay about the first uh, duncan egg story and like even there right you know oh yeah there there is no mention of the black at a time in which you absolutely would think that like people oh yeah would a, mention it
0: he only come, came up with it i'm pretty sure like when when the sword when he was writing the sworn sword and then that also came it was also when he was probably writing a storm of swords so he was kind of trading it in and that's why there's some blackfire references
1: yeah there's there's but, a little yeah. bit of ambiguity there um yeah you know, if you look at my essay you can sort of see like it, because it you know some of the stuff in a sworn sword was cut from a clash of kings yep oh so yeah so it's it's a little bit unclear like it it's either really early in a storm of swords or very late in a clash of kings but like Somewhere, somewhere in that again. somewhere in again. that period. Yeah. Yeah, I and remember. then and then you think, you know, what maybe did he have
2: the nuggets of it? And then when he was writing, he said, you know, I could actually this is actually starting to flesh out, and then he starts it. So when could he have had the nuggets of it, you know, even earlier in a Clash of Kings development? We don't know. I mean we we'd have to yeah, that, that we'd he's have a gardener. That. He's a gardener. And yeah.
0: I, I think even if you did ask him, he would not he wouldn't be able to like precisely say, Oh, that's when I thought of it. that. Yeah, it was just like it's like I don't know, it just it suddenly came to me. Uh, so we we do need to mention just for fun, but in the middle of Darren's reign, there would be this tall man who was riding on with three horses, who came across a boy coming out of a river, and no one would would imagine how impactful such meeting would have on the history of Westeros.
2: Well, that's just yeah. that's the same the same thing with the unnamed Bowman who killed Fireball the yep. night before the Redgrass. I mean, nobody knows who that guy was. And I mean, as I said earlier, it's just one of the untold things where just a, an anonymous person lost to history ends up being just the focal hinge of an entire era. Sometimes so, that just happens.
0: Okay, well, I'll, I'll mention a little bit about the the. We we probably don't have much to talk about the hedge knight, but just suffice it to say that poor Baylor Breakspear. it re- rereading like whenever I reread uh, the hedge knight in particular, just it it really stinks because Baylor Breakspear really does. I think of all the the what if kings out there, I do think Baylor Breakspear sounds pretty much the best of them. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, he's he's literally designed as a JFK figure yeah oh, yeah <laughs> like yeah. down down to like location of the head wound that kills him oh, um uh, yeah. you know it back into the left, back into the left, like it's yeah. you yeah. know it's pretty clear that like Martin you know was of the baby boom generation, you know, yeah. and perfectly poised to sort of see that moment as like you know the loss of innocence of America and so on and so forth, yeah. so yeah, like I think Baylor is absolutely designed to be this figure who like could have led you know now granted his reign would not have been easy like it doesn't matter how good a king you are you know the great spring sickness (laughs) and we're going to talk about about, are going to come but you know as we are learning right you know even in a crisis good management and bad management can make for very different outcomes
2: (laughs) yes yeah Yeah, but it's and it's it, you know, Baylor died so that we could have a more interesting setting. is yeah. kind of is kind of the maxim. Yeah,
1: but, heroes, uh, you know, heroes need you know need chaos to to fight against. I mean, we we do in, in a lot of
0: ways get Baylor breakspear as king when we get Egg as king, but that's we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So, I mean, also, I mean, it's worth mentioning just Makar choosing to let Dunk be. Be the knight for egg be his squire and of a hedge knight it's a mixture of of makar both be like really taking in what dunk's blunt but sincere words are but also just he was also just like i'm never going to be king so it's not actually like going to be ever be an issue so
1: yeah okay. and i think it's also a good deal of shame right like yeah. what 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 was the conflict that led to his brother's death? Yeah, It was literally, you know, his shithead son accused this guy of having kidnapped, you know, his actually decent son. And, you know, he reacted in this sort of, like, complete emotional, you know, fury. And it had these horrible consequences. And I think it's really kind of like... The, it seems like the first time that Makar is actually second guessing himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, as well, opposed
1: to just acting on you know his gut. Well, because he is a at, at that point in his life,
0: he's a, as as the um, one of the fa- says, like he's a bitter man because he's because he was seen as the as like not not the black sheep, but like the.
1: Second best. The yeah. second best of all his brothers. The lesser, the lesser br- banana,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah, of all his brothers. It's not just, like, not just, like, obviously Baylor, who's, like, top dog in every way, but it's, like, even, like, I mean, I'm sure they would eventually eat these words, but, like, wise Ares and benevolent Rhaegal, he's just, he's just Makar. Not quite as smart, not quite as nice, and not as great of a warrior.
2: Well, the inferiority complexes of the Targaryen dynasty could make its own episode. <laughs> Yes, they could. So, all right then. Um, and I don't know why,
0: but but for whatever reason, guys, right, right now this this Great Springs sickness it does hit home a little bit more than I'd like it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, just um, I mean, who could imagine a, a plague that being have a such devastating effect on people? I mean, luckily we live in an age of science where there's no possible way that we would let something like that happen.
2: Well, it's interesting because uh, I'm not even sure how the vector of the plague gets into Westeros because we, we oh, yeah. know. Well, uh, we know how uh, the Black Death got into into yeah. Europe. That was through through trade ships and uh, there was a a siege where the uh, the Mongols catapulted in a bunch of plague ridden cows, uh, the carcasses such... into the city uh, a city on the Black Sea, and then they that the trade rat the rats uh, brought the, uh, to Venice, the plague. Yeah, yeah to Venice. So, it's interesting because since Westeros is an island, there needed to have been some sort of boat that would have brought the plague over if it didn't well, germinate you know, in Westeros. The, like,
1: the tr- I, mean, I I was going to say, like, that's that's true of, the, like, a Black Death scenario, but there are, like, medieval uh, plagues that we don't really have explanations for. Like, the sweating sickness, for example. Yes. Oh, which, that's true. Which is yeah. right. Basically. We don't I mean, know that, what that, it no. is. Still. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It, it well, used to, like you know wipe out huge things of like you know england you know flanders and northern france it was just like this thing that happened every few years and you know maybe it had something to do with draining the fens and yeah you know maybe it was a Hanta virus, but we have no you know still we have no clue like we're pretty well set by this point you know we've done the the DNA testing on teeth from bodies, from plague pits. Like we know the bubonic plague is a bubonic plague, but you know, the, the sweating sickness, who knows? Yeah. I mean that I usually got, got, I got more of uh the winter, the winter
2: chills from uh, that's where I got kind of the sweating sickness from. It's just, we don't hear about anything going over with Essos in terms of the spring sickness. So I'm just wondering like, but, I mean, because we know that the it, Vale, it, it, the vale it, it, and Dorne blockaded themselves off, and that's kind and, of easy to do when there's only one port, really, into either one of those regions, and one—no, well, one or two roads into those regions.
0: So, I mean, those chapters in Fire and Blood Volume 2 will be pretty amazing. Yeah. Because that's going to be—it's going to be one sad fest of just—and it really is just this horrific moment, because— there's a kind of damning line that, I mean, Martin being Martin is that in the hedge Knight was like that. Well, Darren, the good has so secured the, the Targaryen dynasty. There's no way anything's ever going to happen to it. Now it's been so secured that Darren, the good had four sons and, and, uh Baelor has two sons. Yeah. uh a- Ares, Oh, Ares, okay, Ares is being Ares, but Rhaegal has has a son, and Makar has four sons. This line of succession, like, there's never going to be an issue about about the Targaryens ever again. And then suddenly, the king and his two heirs are dead, and the yep. crown passes, and thousands upon thousands die,
2: yep.
0: and the crown, unfortunately passes to Ares.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Ares, whom I would dub the Puppet. Ares, in my mind, honestly, is in a lot of ways the worst person who ever sat on the Iron Throne. (laughs) He was just... This is like a really interesting case where this person probably should have abdicated. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't get why he wanted to be accepted being king if all
1: he wanted to do was read well, I mean, I I think it's it's literally Bloodraven. Like he yeah. he happened to be the man on the spot in King's Landing. You know, um uh uh Makar was out of the city. He was at Summerhall. Um and you know, it was extremely useful to Bloodraven that the king be an absentee king. Yeah. Who was uninterested in in ruling and would let blood raven do pretty much whatever he wanted. Well, um I mean maybe it's
0: also time but eventually make our soften to to airy to blood raven and let him stay on as hand of the king.
1: Yeah, that still so, weirds so, me out. Yeah. That's like the you know there there's certain uh you know retcon has such negative connotations but like, there there's certain later things that like explanation is still needed motivation oh, you is still know needed. what no no because everything I, I, I is pointing everything else is pointing. i mean literally by like by mystery night it's gotten to the point where everyone is predicting a civil war between these two men and like the high septon is telling makar like overthrow this bastard you know like yeah. you you yeah. don't see the what the what are the foundations for a reconciliate you know that that like i'm not saying it couldn't happen i'm just saying like give me the evidence give me the sources give me the text give obviously, me something okay give we're going to need something <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, well okay all right first off we're going to need yeah more obviously this is what we're asking for is more duncan egg stories but I mean, I think it probably going out of a limb, Stephen, saying it, it probably helped that that Makar and Bloodraven like were the commanders for the the third Blackfire Rebellion. That that might have like helped square away their their demons and got them to really just force to work each other and hash it out.
1: Maybe. I mean, and, but... and it also probably
0: helped that that his son his favorite son married a blackwood that he might have like eventually like okay all right fine
1: yeah maybe i mean i've always wondered i've always wondered what whether the um untimely death of regal's line played a role there because like well yes but uh the the big question hanging over this is just like what happens if Eris dies right he's he's you know he has an unconsummated marriage practically
0: he's pra- got nowhere. It, it's, it's obviously a, it's not consummate, like maybe one time, but yeah
1: yeah you know, it, and you know there it was pretty clear from from mystery Night that like everyone expects um uh blood Raven to like back Regel's line in order to keep. May car out of royal
0: government. Well, and that's actually the importance of mystery night. And so, getting into it, let's talk about the second blackfire rebellion. Okay. So, second blackfire rebellion, first and foremost, it's it's one a, a telling experience from a historical perspective of how significant bittersteel is is that it's really important for for how much bittersteel is vital to the blackfire cause. And how much it's not just Damon's line, that's important, because you have half, essentially half of the Blackfire rebels. The Blackfires, of course, factionalize within themselves, of of people's front of Judea and Judean people's front fighting each other rather than than getting along to focus on like maybe we should. I will say also the, the that Bloodraven. I think is, is 100% a tyrant, but he's an effective tyrant, but at the same time, he is just... Ares, I, I'll be a bit more critical. He reminds me of the real-life King Henry VI, of just being this ineffectual, complacent puppet king to these well-meaning puppet lord lords that are guiding him. And And so... Ares, one, that the, the, the Great Spring Sickness frees up all the hostages that the Targaryens had. So now there's no, nothing holding back the Blackfires from rebelling. Yeah. And then it's the, the big potent thing of that they got on a super incompetent king that is doing everything wrong and Bloodraven is turning the, the country into a police state. And that is ripe territory, ripe ripe
2: fruit for a rebellion. And it's not and so, just the failed police state or it's not just a, f- a police state because it's a failed police state. Yeah. Because because it doesn't stop Dagan Greyjoy. So yeah. it's it's you know, this is the one thing that I kind of I always push back when someone says Blood Raven is, you know, brutal but effective. He gets results, but he doesn't get the results. He he doesn't get them. Well
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's part of the the no-win c- scenario. I feel is that is that if he had focused on on Dagon, if he had focused on, on on answering that, that's when like they're distracted. Now's the time to
2: invade. But there were other things he could have done. Like for example, he could have say that he he hears that uh, Tybalt Lannister and Baron Stark are, are you know making common cause to do that. He could have maybe given them a gift of ships. He could have forgave tax payments. He could have Tell done a lot of— the red
1: wines to, to back yes. them up. Yeah, he yeah. could
2: have done a lot of great things, not necessarily in— If if the efforts are needed to, to go against uh, Bittersteel in the East, there were things that he could do as essentially the de facto king to have actually enabled Baron Stark and Tybalt Lannister to actually— do what they needed to do and mm-hmm. he didn't do any of that so that's that's where i always push back for it's 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 not a a binary thing you do something or you don't do something there are options and he didn't get yeah. any and, of that.
1: and i think that's I, I think that's the thing is that like even if he hadn't done much right visibly trying makes such a difference because what people are really pissed about when you get to white walls Oh is yeah. Is that like the king doesn't care? <laughs> he's not making an effort. Like Oh, 100%. Yeah, no yes. one yeah, well, well,
0: that yeah. that's that's why I why I'm more critical honestly of of Ares than right, I am but of like, Bloodraven because because he's
1: out to lunch. You know, like uh, Well, that, Peters,
0: that's why I hate that's why I hate agreeing, but like that's why that's why I hate him is because is because he is like because he, he isn't Ares isn't dumb. He isn't like he doesn't have that excuse of like, no, he knows that he should be ruling, but just like, eh, I just want to read. I yeah, just want to read. I
1: mean, it's it's hard to say, but like, you know, like Bloodraven is someone who does understand power politics. You know, like even, you know, like if Eris doesn't have the excuse of being Rhaegal, Bloodraven doesn't have the excuse of being Eris. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. And, yeah. you know, I this, you know, so that's where I'm sort of saying, like, even trying, even doing s- these symbolic gestures, I think would have let, you know, people still would have grumbled that, you know, not enough was being done, or, you know, or they weren't being effective enough. But at least there would have been this understanding, well, like, at least they're trying something. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, yeah, so Kyle
2: the Cat even says, at least they fight. And he's talking about <laughs> the Starks and the Lannisters. At least they fight. He didn't even fight. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i mean all fair points guys all fair points and yeah and this is why two blackfire rebellions happen in this reign and this is the worst reign of the blackfire era bar none i i I will say in that this is where why the blackfire rebellions quite frankly happen is because you have an utterly incompetent king that when there's a drought he does nothing and when there's raids on the on half the country by the, the Greyjoys, he does nothing. And just, it's continually just like, Ugh. and Bloodraven being Bloodraven is obsessed with his brother that he kind of doesn't immediately react to other crises crises happening.
2: But Bloodraven mm-hmm. does even worse than nothing because he forbids the peasants to move. So now they can't go to other lands to seek relief when they're dying of thirst and starvation. So that that is more fuel for the fire when all of these people are. I mean, first off, you can say the the supernatural element that you see with the preaching septon, where he says, you know, all all of these signs are clearly signs of the seven as blessed, Damon and as cursed Aries. Yeah. But but even then, if if someone says, hey, we were trying, we were starving to death, and you said, don't go, don't go to uh, find help. If you find help, I will kill you. It's like, huh that doesn't really sound very kingly does it well he
0: isn't a king but yeah uh and and so what we're saying is like this is all like it makes sense that these blackfire rebellions happen when they happen
1: well and that the third is probably the closest that they came to winning after the first yes like the the second is a complete botch the fourth (laughs) you know is is Really kind of one-sided, um, and you not know, not kind of. It is
0: one-sided, but
1: uh, yeah, yeah, you know, but... um, and uh, the War of Nine Penny Kings is uh, complicated. Yes. <laughs> um, well, l- l- you know, l- but l- like I think the third really was like it that the Targaryens came very very close to losing everything. Yes. Well,
0: I don't want to blow. I want to talk about that, but first I do want to mention and talk about the second and you say botched and in a way, yes and no, because and OK, first off, I have a lot of we did a whole episode on Damon the second in this show, but I'll say it again. Like Damon the second is like when you when you talk about or the human heart, he is actually when you look at it and look his whole backstory, he is quite a bit of a tragic figure in that basically one we we don't know his relationship with his his birth father but he's basically a secondary father of bittersteel the man who who saved his life and made sure and told him like you're the heir to the blackfires lost faith in him and didn't believe in him
2: well i mean if it...
0: and, and so everyone kind of thought he was a joke and he had this whole chip of like living up to his legendary father which he obviously never was gonna do
2: but at yeah. the same time, if, if if your son comes up to you and with this, I mean, this is a plan that's not even half cocked. This is a quarter cocked plan. Uh, you know, at some point, you know, you I mean, I, I understand Bittersteel doesn't want to lose Damon the second because any loss to the prestige of the of House Blackfire hurts his mission. But if you know, he can't be around him all the time, he can't put him under lock and key. And you can just tell him, look, this is a stupid plan. You're going to get yourself killed. Don't do this. But if he goes and does it anyway, at, at what point does Bittersteel – do you have to kind of feel for Bittersteel for someone who's doing something unbelievably stupid and just continues to try and do it? Well, and
0: I want to actually give more credit, though, to Duncan Egg. It's really that – I think the, the second Fire Rebellion had Duncan Egg not accidentally – and yes, 100% accidentally – got involved – It would have been at least on the fourth Blackfire level of kind of an affair. I I don't know.
1: Like, you know, you, you look at what they were like, you know, you, you listen to, um, uh, to Butterwell and to Gorman Peak, you know, they, they really had a plan that assumed that their opponents would do nothing. Like, I yes. think that's, that's the basic problem. Like, it, you know, they literally said, like, uh, "Blood Ravens' men will melt away like the summer snows," and you know, so they they have this idea. We'll well, do they this like, they a...
0: Yeah, the big stupid part is that they assume that Makar will just kind of like stay there and not help
1: Blood Raven. Is like, oh, guys, no, no, no. no. But he even may, he know, may not he like Blood Raven, like, but but. He... But no, but would. in 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 the scheme of things, right? What actually happens? Makar doesn't lift a finger, but Blood Raven is able to completely scotch them regardless. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, well, if if there had been
0: a well, it's there, but landing,
1: yeah. Yeah. no, no, but like you know, they they really did have a plan. Like, okay, uh, to use uh magic the gathering terminology like theirs was a control deck strategy it was like wait long enough until i can win and <laughs> the problem is they got run over and yeah. you know so like they didn't have bitter steel's support uh they didn't have an army already assembled you know they had like what would have happened if you know um he'd had the egg right if the egg doesn't literally hatch because that's Damon's plan Damon's plan is that like he's going to birth a dragon Yes. you know but like what's much more likely to have happened is just that they're like white walls is under siege and no one's coming to help them well
0: but that's why i say at least like fourth blackfire rebellion there would at least be a battle i i i would say that there would be a battle there would be some effort, like some people might have rallied to him. It's really, but it's because that, mm. that, that, a, that, Egg is a, able to become Prince Aegon and scare away the two, his two major financial backers of just making Lord Frey yeah. say, like, okay, bye bye, I'm but gone. And, know, and still, making Lord Butterwell just cowering.
1: Like, they're they're still promise, like, they're, they're still thinking that like all of this is going to come together like my favorite bit of this is where they say you know Heron Hall will follow yeah they're, like, they're expecting the Lostens to come back them up oh and, yeah
0: yeah yeah they're they're, they're expecting a lot
1: uh, well and and, and and well no but what side does she join yeah like, she's she's outside the walls with an army <laughs> cuz yeah. Bloodraven can offer way more right now yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's and, a real Chancer's strategy.
2: And even in the the outside long shot, and Damon the second does birth a dragon, Bloodraven is just gonna kill the thing and tell everyone, no, it wasn't a dragon, it was just a cat they painted. Like that's that's what he's gonna do. Bloodraven is not gonna let a little thing like the actual rebirth of the dragon stop him. Well, if the rebirth of the dragons happened though,
0: guys, you gotta admit, like that that would have drastically changed everything because I mean, then because then it would cool. then like a lot of people would sincerely rally to damon because yeah
1: like, but, no, like, no, but here's the, the thing how does the news get out from a, like it's not like yeah. blood raven's going to allow ravens to tran to yeah. travel the, like well, yeah that's that's
2: my thing yeah he's just yes. gonna say no that was all a lie they just said that so they could get support and then again, he's just gonna burn the dragon corpse quietly, and then make sure to dig a deep pit, to throw the ashes in, to make sure no one finds out. <laughs> Fair enough. Well,
0: all I'm saying is like that. Uh, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. Is that Duncan Egg? Yeah, they did the, play the second. A... They, they neuter the second rebellion. Although, so, so
1: that, w- I that, I, that, I do want to.
0: The final like army by Blood Raven arrives. It's already basically over yeah. of that although, of that no although one
1: i do want to say one yeah. thing about that like what happens after the the fighting is over okay is um uh, you'll notice blood raven basically attempts to kidnap egg yeah like yeah that's, that's uh, where i'm like where is this reconciliation between the two of them coming because you can really see that like blood raven is like hmm i should make you my Dot 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 guest at the Red Keep and Egg is like sure my father would love to hear about that and well, like you know that's that's like that's a pretty fucking cold blood you know that's that's like one step away of what from like okay you know let me find some hired knives to go kill Makar. well no I
0: understand what you're saying but but that's also I read that as a bit more he's being a bit more playful at that point because he's letting like He's also at the same time listening to to egg th- this this like cousiny is not cousin really but whatever genealogy's weird but like th- this relative of his that he's n- given like two thoughts to nephew? prior to and he's just like he's like and
1: nephew, he's just like Who I, the h-? yeah, yeah really nephew brother's, yeah brothers son's kid yeah half brother's son's kid yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. grand nephew yeah so
0: yeah and so he's just like like who are you who are you nephew to give me orders I'm just like and that's why he's also saying like sir you should beat your your squire more he's like i try and it doesn't work and and he actually yeah he's like theoretically saying like yeah, maybe i should take you in but he's also at the same time this is when and i do kind of like i'm i'm not i'm never going to be that conspiracy theorist but i do think like this is where this is definitely a moment where Ares, is think, that Bloodraven, thinks to himself, this kid is special. I'm keeping an eye on this kid. And mm-hmm. and this is the moment where, where I think for the first time, at least in Bloodraven's mind, it's like, maybe this could be the nec- the heir to the Iron Throne someday.
2: Like, I'm keeping an eye on this kid. At the same time, excessive interventionism that ends up causing more problems than it solves is kind of Blood Raven shtick. So yeah. wanting to kidnap uh Egg does really fit with the rest of the pattern of the Blood Raven.
1: I I, I well and even when he, he like gets his most active in support of, of uh uh of egg at the, the Great Council, it's like he does it in such a way that Egg has no choice but to exile him to the yeah. Night Watch.
0: Yes, yes, well, we'll get to that, but yes, 100%. That's like, well, that's, that is 100% blood, like, Red Wedding kind of shit that happens there. was like, what the hell? Okay, what? No. No. And actually, the lords are, are in his favor when that happens, mostly. The ones that aren't
2: terrified are like, yeah, we kind of had to do that. Like well, I mean, he, he's been like, kind of the focal point of hate for, I mean, at this point, what, like 40 years at that point? Yeah. Everybody's going to be kind of, wait a minute, we can get rid of him? Ding oh. dong, the witch is dead. Witch <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it's like, um, yeah. have you ever seen uh, The Death of Stalin? Yes. yes. Oh, yes, like, I love it, that it's, movie. It's like yeah, that scene favorite. where they've, they've all got, um, um, what's his name, uh, Beria. Yeah. Right. And they're all oh, denouncing. Yeah. They're all denou like they're putting them on show trial. And it's like they're all gathering around. There's like, finally, this asshole is gonna get it.
0: Yeah. Yep. And just yeah. Well, that's a great movie. Check it out, please. Oh, I love that movie so much. <laughs> he was pointing to all of you. Yeah, all of us. No, 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 all of you. I wasn't in that circle. You know, all of you can kiss my Russian ass. <laughs> so. Then the. So then we get to the third Blackfire Rebellion, and we don't. It's kind of the same situation of the second Blackfire Rebellion, of just that there's. Of that Ares is still being an incompetent king. Blood Raven is ruling with an iron fist. And so the lords that are resenting this and don't like this, understandably, and have rightful grievances as well, are just like. Some are jealous, yes, but some also have real grievances. And so they're just like, when, when, uh, of course, also Daemon II dies, so that's also convenient. But Hagon comes in with an army, uh, really bitter steel, but Hagon comes in. They're like, yeah, okay, come on in come on in and th- th- this is going to be different for when we talk about the fourth black rebellion i think of the the of the climate and what the lords and people's relationship to their king really informs just how when a black fire comes in people are going to be responding to them and so like when when hagon arrives and as you said stephen like this is really as close as they get now all the authors uh, not Elio and Linda as along with Martin are being magnificent trolls when they talk about the world of the third Blackfire Rebellion. Of just everyone knows about this, so we're not gonna talk about it that much, like, oh Martin.
2: Well, it's gotta sell more Dunkin' Eggs. I yeah. Mean, he's got- the third Blackfire Rebellion is gonna feature so prominently in Dunkin' Egg <laughs> that he can't just reveal all the cards at once. Yeah, true enough. Well, and this is also that that's in their story. This is
0: this is when uh Dunk really, or no, Egg is beginning to show himself as as much more of a of a power player, in that he he starts to become a a commendable figure that, and noted and celebrated figure in, in the Targaryen family and in Westeros in general, is um is that he starts to be a leader at this point, and obviously Duncan's there, and he's a legendary legendary warrior you starting to become more of just the legendary sir duncan the tall and not just this who who the hell are you don who the hell are you hedge knight um so i guess we can really talk i mean if you uh, Stephen, if you want to add any more but we could talk about the oh, the, the more well detailed end result <laughs> which is just
2: like
1: yeah well i mean the the big question is like uh, where where is this phrase? Uh, of the de or the leadership of Makar. Okay, so we know that. Yeah. The actions of Aryan Bright Flame. Yes. You know that, like I, I'm fairly sure means that um, he murdered Hagon. Oh yeah, 100%. After well, he
0: surrendered. Well yeah, and so that's part of the and that's the thing that like one of the reasons why the Blackfire rebellions keep on happening. <laughs> is because of things like this that happen right right now. It's that, yeah, like, it, like Damon II is the only one who got the, the right, a pretty decent deal of he got to live in the gilded cage. Of, like, all the others, it's just like, it's like immediately, Hagon surrenders. Hagon surrenders and they execute him. Which is just like, what
1: the hell? Yeah, okay. and it's also, you know, at the same time, like, one of the things that's that's really curious about this is um you know the the sort of the friends of bitter steel that are in the royal court. There's like this whole kind of espionage thing because, you know, they let in some escape, ways but yeah. the yeah, you know, in some ways the the you know, the Blackfire um cause should have ended there. Like yes. King dead well, Bittersteel captive blackfire the sword taken you know and somehow bittersteel gets out and the sword gets out yeah it's
0: it's a great question it's a great question and um marnionar bitch take whatever time you need to to really detail it out for us but it's it really is this case where And this is one of the reasons why one of the only times Ares, Ares the puppet is actually, like, being a king and making a decision. It's a noble decision and well-intentioned decision, but I think it's basically the wrong—it's 100% the wrong call. Hagon is the one who should have been spared, obviously. Bittersteel— But Hagon's dead. Totally, yeah, Hagon's dead. Yeah. yeah, I know. But, like, it's just—but Bittersteel, like, I, I hate to be with— arion but like I'm sorry like I'm with Bloodraven and and Aeryon like bitter still you need to get rid of 100% 100%
2: like he is like the wall no well I think no. the thing is though is it's it's the same thing with Aney's blackfire really you have to be able to separate the Targaryen monarchy from these horrible actions that were taken on its behalf And you see with Aeneas, Blackfire, Egg sends Bloodraven to the wall to say, you know, that was the wrong thing. I'm going to restore royal credibility. And I think you can see with Ares probably doing the exact same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if Egg was the one who maybe was the one who spoke up for this plan, which is kind of would be kind of neatly ironic uh, given that, uh, you know, they would let her fight again on the fourth Blackfire. But this idea is royal credibility means a lot. And True basically with the with the murder of Hagon and then later with the murder of Aenys Blackfire, it's thrown into the dirt. And so the Targaryens are trying to do what they can to restore this idea of royal credibility. Because I mean you have to remember, Ares, the one thing he definitely had a problem with was royal credibility because he did absolutely nothing during his reign. I mean, less than nothing. He was I mean, he was not even fiddling when the Rome when Rome burned. He was just not doing anything and so he has to know that on some level restoring credibility now like i said it's entirely possible that egg is the one that suggested this uh plan given what we saw with Annie's blackfire but that's just a theory so that, that that's a fun theory i like that and
0: so we get into the third blackfire rebellion ends and yeah i can see that like it's an attempt to shore up credibility um and so that's kind of a an interesting point. Uh Stephen, you want to say a final word?
1: Um yeah, I mean, you know, in in some ways um you know, it, it it is the 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 war that sort of sets the pattern because um you know, you you have these sort of cycles of atrocity and reprisal essentially. Um But it also you can sort of see why things would go downhill from here that like, you know, from now on, you're going to get fewer um, fewer adherence in in part just through attrition. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually, you know, the sons and grandsons, you know, fade away and, you know, everyone sort of starts to wonder, like, you know. Is, is this still worth it right you know every time we do this you know it sucks yeah you know we, we don't <laughs> we don't get anything out of this um, and you know eventually I, I you know this is something else that I'm sort of wondering is like at what point does is there too much cultural distance between the blackfires and Westeros like at, at what point do they stop being sort of Credible leaders of the, um, you know, of a Westerosi polity and start becoming too associate to really function, you know, because certainly I think by the time that you get to the Nine Penny Kings, that's happened. That process. uh, Oh, yeah. By that point, yes.
2: You know, concluded. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, I think with Damon, the third is the first one where he's never even born in Westeros I don't believe. I don't believe yeah. Daemon Daemon the 3rd is ever born in Westeros and certainly Melis. by this point he's lived and become a fully fledged adult entirely in Essos. Yeah. So someone's going to look to him and say he's not a Westerosi king, he's foreign
0: yeah
1: yeah and if Um, you look at a lot of the the band of nine penny kings they're these like associate pirates and mercenaries they're not like lord peak of star pike well that's why that that domestic constituency just sort of has has been whittled down to the point where it's not really credible anymore yeah the best you got's the bad apple yeah yeah (laughs) well
0: well that's why you got got uh that's why prince duncan says like kingship is being sold nine a penny it's just like wow it's 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 gotten that low, of that you 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 really have become that much of just like blatant criminals now. By the end for the Blackfire rebellions, I think um and kind of going a little bit ahead though for for fourth Blackfire rebellion it's also like by that point and I like what you're bringing up Stephen is like it's basically a, it's it's sort of the second generation so now the legendary Damon the first the legendary Damon the first along with Darren the Good are both memories entirely. There, and no one really who's fighting in that has any real memory of him. It's it's all Egg's generation. It's Duncan Egg. It's that generation who just kind of regard it a little bit more distantly and a bit more practically. Of like, yeah, well, we've had two Targaryen kings since Darren the Second, so it's pretty much. Yeah, usurper or not, we, we're just used to it. It's a little bit of that goes yeah. into it. But, and I don't want to jump the gun too much yet. I should, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Makar's reign, but like when it's also Egg's reign, he does all the right things, I, I feel, and does all the, makes all the right decisions to where, to where the point that Damon III lands, he is won over the people. And, the, and so they're already like, go away, we have a good king go away that's the big difference between when he- when hagon lands versus when damon the third lands is hagon lands to a westeros ruled by an incompetent king damon in the third lands on a westeros that is ruled by a very competent caring king
2: well i mean the also though didn't uh, if i remember correctly the fourth Fire took place really after makar died very soon after a couple of years
1: yeah so yeah
2: you can see that a lot of it was also the strength of Makar keeping the Blackfires at bay. And then, yes. it was like, then once the opportunity came, I think it was a couple of years because Westeros was in the middle of winter. Yes. And then they said, well, you know, we don't really – so it's not really Egg's – I mean certainly Egg's reputation to the Westerosi matters and they can bring a lot of support. But he's also kind of an unknown quantity to the SOC Blackfire element they don't really know what to make of him but they know that his relatively competent certainly in terms of military makar is dead so really they have a chance but because maybe it's because of the the food donations that egg did do it to the the places of to the north they could really see that he had his heart in the right place and this was a king who did something as compared to Ares. so i don't yes. know it's necessarily that he was a competent king because certainly the the Failed marriages and all that other stuff would eventually really sour on Egg's reign. And certainly these legal reforms probably, you know, rubbed the nobility something raw. But at the very least, he was a competent king. To, to go back to what yeah. Stephen was saying before, Ares wasn't doing anything during Dagon's reign. Here is Egg and he's doing something. And yeah. that's well, and I, think,
1: I think it's just also like fatigue. Like yeah. people are tired. You know, they've, they've now lost sons in two generations and now you're asking to go again. And unless, you know, even by that point, right. You know, the, the murder of Hagon is starting to become an old wound. It's not as fresh as it used to be. I just think like, you know, people, people get tired. It's hard to keep the sort of passions of a civil war going indefinitely. At a certain point, people just sort of say, I want to, I want normality uh, back. Yeah. Yes. Well.
0: Okay. And so you touched on it, and I'll, I'll touch on it now. I was just saying that, Makar, like, and you can definitely see it in the crown uh, the, that that Amok, that unofficial portrait artist Amok did for Makar, like the crown that that Makar had forged for himself when he became king. He clearly expected the Blackfires to come. He yeah, clearly... I, was,
1: I mean, the irony of his reign is that he was a, a warrior king in times of peace, and, yep. and anus was—excuse uh, me, Eris was uh, a peaceful king in times of war. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah. Although, weirdly enough—and this is kind of a, a bizarre thing—that the, the Magor's crown actually looks a lot like the crowns of the north, which yeah. I also yeah, thought yeah, kind of weird. Yeah. But may, maybe that's something that, uh, I mean, because we know that Egg is going to go to Winterfell at some point. Maybe he just brings back the the drawings or whatever, and Makar's like, hmm, I like that. I like yeah. what they've got going on there. But it's also possible that it's uh, a, a variant of Aegon's crown, that instead of the Valyrian steel, he has regular steel. Instead of those ruby studs, he has the the iron spikes or something like that. I mean, we yeah. don't know, but it's fun to speculate about crowns.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, as you once said very aptly, Jim, is that the crown is also a statement. Oh, the yes. crown is very much a statement of, of, like, what your rule is going to be. And it's also – but I mean, going into it and, like, when, when we get Maester Amon's quotes um, in – I forget which book exactly it is, but when, when he talks about his father, of just that make our – at the same time is just so miserable and so ashamed that he became king it's just something he never ever expected and clearly wanted and he just feels that it's his punishment becoming king was his punishment for killing Baylor and to his credit he doesn't do a bad job of that like bittersteel fought him twice and was like yeah i'm not fighting against makar no way like no plus also he needed like his Target Blackfire era was a kid then, so it was like he needed time to consolidate and let him grow up.
2: Yeah, and then after that it was winter and it was just a bad time to invade, so...
0: Yeah. And do we want to talk about the, the theoretical... I mean, I do maintain... I once posted a kind of like a tinfoil-y theory that, that I do think Bloodraven might have just whispered some time to to arian said hey you know i'm magical right right nephew yeah i know how you can you are a dragon i've seen it you can be a dragon how (laughs) just just drink this wildfire i yeah that's that's too speculative
2: for me it's funny but it's too speculative for me yeah
0: well i don't really believe that I, i i could see blood raven just being like okay all right but uh one uh i I could see Bloodraven being that monstrous where he's just like, okay, Rhaegal, you and your kids, no way. So it's got to be Makar, and, like, Makar, it, it has to be Aegon. Aegon or or Aemon, maybe, but not really Aemon. It's got to be Aegon. Like, no way am I letting, letting any of Rhaegal's kids or any of the bad
2: kids of Makar in charge. Mm. I could see Bloodraven being the one trying to put the idea into the nobles' heads to get Eamon to to forsake his maester's oath because Eamon being a maester would have been ingrained in the idea of service, that which might make him more pliable. I could see that. That's still very speculative, but I could see that. I, I could more see that the lords are just so desperate because
0: the they... – they're so fearful of this half peasant that, that 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 they come basically
2: crawling to Amon saying, please, 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 please. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, both of those are are very very plausible, which is why it, we really it, can't rule one way or the other. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, like for for, for the lords, it it, it becomes like Amon is the lesser of two evils in their eyes. These like really paranoid lords are like, oh please, please not this peasant, this like half a peasant, please.
2: Like you are actually a lord. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that that gets me against that is that uh, Aegon did show some warrior chops, some martial aristocracy chops in the third Blackfyre Rebellion. So it makes me wonder what exactly was he talking about or saying that really got them. I mean, certainly we see in um, The Hedge Knight with um, Tancel Tutal getting beaten by uh, Aryan Brightflame that Pro small folk reforms are definitely would be on Aegon's agenda no matter yeah. what. Now, what exactly they would be, that's a little, little murkier. I mean, I'm yeah. I, I bet Stephen has plenty of theories. Yeah, that, like that's, the,
1: that's just, the problem is there's there's two, like it, it's a very wide field, right? There's yeah. there's several yeah. hundred years of sort of centralizing reforms by by kings looking to sort of exploit the divisions between the nobility and the sort of burgher class that it could be. Like, it could be anything from legal reforms to, you know, political reforms. uh, Sheriffs and all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, education, you know, who knows? Like, there's a million things that could be. So, you know, in in this case, I think we have to wait for more textual evidence. Yes. Uh,
2: I I actually had a a talk with uh, Hergrim at one point and I said, uh, I guess we have to, ex- you know, it's like we don't really see any Franklins or church wardens, or in this case it would be sept wardens. And I said, I guess we have to accept that uh, maybe you and I are the only type of people who want to know exactly who is a yeoman. And I think that's with, yeah. with, 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 uh, with you uh, is that it's like, well, I'm probably one of the few people who would actually be interested in a uh, a big a big drop-down list of all of the things that Aegon V was proposing as pro-small-folk reforms.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's sort of the thing, like, every time that, you know, a, a Martin Q&A would come up, you know, I, I, I'd i be the one, like, emailing all of my friends to be like, ask him about the legal status of the peasantry, and everyone else is like, tell me about your favorite character. Was it hard to write about the, re- you know, the black yeah. red wedding? And I'm like, he's already answered this. Tell oh. me about serfdom. Believe it or not, I almost got to
2: ask him a question at Balticon about uh, the Master of Laws. Uh, oh, there's there's he called on the person one. next to me, Oof. Uh, who talked about the Grateful Dead, which is a good question, certainly, yeah. it's cer- certainly an, uh, not the same question that uh, is asked a thousand times. But I would have been. Could you tell me what a competent not corrupt master of laws would actually do in terms of are <laughs> there barristers? I mean, we're not not a Damon, uh, the Rogue Prince, not a Renly Baratheon. We're talking straight up competent master of laws. Someone that a that Egg would probably appoint. So,
0: so Egg becoming king. I mean, it's the great story, and it's. Pro, I my own theory is that he. He might have started to come up with the idea when he was coming up with Maester Aemon's backstory. Is like, ooh, that sounds like a good story. I want to tell.
1: Well, I I think but, it's yeah. also like you know, to the extent that he likes to do, you know, um, remixes and and you know, deconstructions and reconstructions. It's like it is the sword and the stone. But it's oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. What it, what it, actually it, happens when you have uh, an heir to the throne come almost out of nowhere? is that he's got no base of political support and he's going to face an unrelenting opposition from you know a warrior aristocracy that does not want to change anything.
0: And I love talking about Egg as king and Egg is one of my favorite characters. And it's also, yeah, it's, but in addition to that, it's, it's going with the types of interpretations of Arthur that, where Arthur is this reformer king of like, what's it like when you try to be a reformer king, and how much can you really get people behind it? Mm-hmm. And it's both a deconstruction, but it's also just a flat-out new imagining of of Arthur. Of if you go with the kind of the once-in-future king version of King Arthur, that kind of situation. Um. So, uh, Stephen, you you're you're heading out. Uh, want any final words on the Blackfire era before you go?
1: Uh no, I think it's good. I uh, just want to say thank you for uh, having me on to uh, have this great conversation. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Take care. Bye bye. All right, have a good one. All right,
0: so we want to still go on. Uh
2: yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, we've only got a couple more. So yeah, let's let's talk a little bit. So I mean we've talked before about this, but yeah, just and so well, we didn't talk about earlier with the fourth Blackfyre Rebellion. And so I think definitely his choice of of making those winter relief efforts for, for the North and other places, that really is an endearing moment of, of getting the people's love, of saying like, okay, this, this king is awesome.
2: We can see uh, some shades of Aegon III in that because he's the one with the whole, um, with full bellies and dancing bears. Yes. And you can kind of also see it because Aegon the Fifth actually wears Aegon the Third's crown. Crown,
0: yeah, a humble gold circlet. That's yeah. part of like that's one of the endearing things. And he chooses chooses as his as his um, as his Lord Commander of the Kingsguard this Hedge Knight. This I mean, I, humble not, Hedge Knight.
2: Now that probably rankled the uh, aristocracy a little bit. But oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. But yes, in the, in the foundation of the Kingsguard there were Hedge Knights. There were so. I can see how maybe that they could smooth—that could be smoothed over by saying, look, we're going back to the time of Aegon the First and Visenya f- founding the Kingsguard. You know, this is the idea that—so, uh, you know, I can see how that would be smoothed over. One thing about the fourth Blackfyre Rebellion that I'm almost certain happened is that the Greyjoy betrayal of Bittersteel it happened in the fourth blackfire rebellion Uh, now i think that's one of the reasons why the fourth became such kind of an abortive rebellion because certainly we see with bittersteel bittersteel is not a bad commander we see in the third he he does a pretty good job and he's able to really salvage the army from destruction in the first after the the losses at redgrass so the loss of the at the fourth of being able to respond so quickly you know egg is able to respond very quickly and he brings people from the westerlands there so he knew that this was happening before well,
0: i want to also give credit though i agree that it's definitely it's a combination of factors it always is yep. is that it's also i think a little bit of 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 what what Stephen was touching on earlier this is a moment of well, one okay we 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 didn't we buried the lead but yeah but this rebellion 100% happens because of blood raven this is 100% blood raven's fault this one is indisputably blood raven's fault of that executing Annie's blackfire that oh, yeah. is true oh yeah red wedding unforgivable and like that that egg allowed Bloodraven to join the Night's Watch is incredibly kind, incredibly kind because that is you breaking the the laws of hospitality, you breaking salt and bread.
2: Yeah, is well, just
0: anathema to Westeros. That is like what the hell? Like even I'm pretty sure even the most hardened like anti-Blackfires are like,
2: wait what? Well, I mean, and at this point too with with the Blackfires, there is no possibility of peace because okay hagon is killed after surrendering his sword in captivity that's abhorrent but when we see with aeneas being lured over by blood raven to present his yeah. claim in council a that means it's no longer a pat it's no longer a one-off that could I mean if if arian who is we all know isn't in completely yeah. insane i mean he, he dies yeah. drinking wildfire he's got a yep. screw loose yep all right Outside chance, someone might think, well, that was just a one-off. They probably won't, but outside chance, someone might think, well, that was just a one-off. Not with Annies This is a clear, planned, and methodical murder. Yep. So they, so the Blackfires, any of Damon's uh, sons or daughters or grandsons or whatever, could yeah. say, this is what they do to us. Yeah. At this point, fighting the Blackfire War, fighting the cause is self-defense in a lot of ways mm-hmm. we need to make sure that the targaryens don't have strength that they can go and murder us whenever they feel like it so i mean you this is absolutely i mean all if, if there were any doubters in essos maybe they had big gone native maybe just the fire had dimmed up dimmed by i mean daemon the black was this great Great warrior, great ideal, but he's long in his in his grave at this point. He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. He he's in I mean he's passing into myth. We don't even you know, I'm the son of the person who even knew him. So maybe the fire isn't burning really hot for me. Yeah. But no, this happens. Oh no, 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 no. I'm grabbing my sword. This is a this is a travesty that demands vengeance.
0: But okay, and so and so this is a real good testing point. For Aegon's rule. Yep. For Egg's rule. And this is moment where I, I liken it to Go For One. This is a, a war where everything that could go right goes right. Mm. This is just overwhelming forces just immediately get there and Dunk chops off the head of Damon the Third. Yeah. And just like that, the cause is lost. Yep. Like Bitter Steel is still there, but Bitter Steel is never gonna he's yeah. always been like a number two, at least officially. And just like that. There is a good fan theory out there. I've discussed it with Steven, like this one fan off of like based off of just titles that theoretical titles that Martin gave, that maybe Dunk may be spending some time in
2: Essos. Oh, he and, is. No, and that's he, in the this night the seven kingdoms. It even says that they're going to go to Essos.
0: Yeah, and so that and so he might meet Damon the young prince Damon the 3rd. Okay. And, and even befriend him and be, maybe like the, he could be a second egg and and so it's that hmm. dunk has got to choose. I Me mean, I could name ser- yeah. it
2: I can certainly see that. I'm also one hundred percent sure that uh, in the Duncan Egg tales with um, Hagon, I'm go- I'm very sure that Egg is actually really gonna like Hagon. They're probably gonna talk to each other in captivity for a little bit. So yeah. that so that when he dies, it, it hurts that much harder. Yeah.
0: Well yeah, and like the same thing with like Damon the Third is like it would be nice to see some really
2: Well, even like Damon the Second wasn't really a bad guy no no he he was i mean he was an idiot but he wasn't a bad guy yeah he was a bit cocky and a bit of yeah but yeah i mean who who isn't (laughs) an aristocracy but no i mean yeah he went off i mean he went off completely you know i mean he was not even firing from the hip at that point i mean he was really kind of winging it but he wasn't a bad guy yeah yeah no and so yeah
0: just it's really (laughs) yeah the Maybe that is a bit of a we're we're too early for summaries, but like yeah, the Blackfires are not not really
2: bad guys
0: from my, what what we what little we have to go no, off. No, no, of. and I think
2: that 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 works out. I think we I mentioned this before how the Blackfire rebellions are the opposite of the Dance of the Dragons, where the Dance of the Dragons are just terrible people <laughs> fighting over the Iron Throne. Yeah, I remember your opinion, these, these yeah. are. Yeah, these are. I mean. Again, you have some foibles. I mean, certainly Damon the second is a bit cringy at times. I mean, yeah. I'm re- when, but uh, but like I said, he's not a bad guy. You see, Damon really practices the chivalry. I'm pretty certain Hagon and Damon the third are going to have a lot of redeeming, really really nice qualities. You're really going to like him, and that's gonna, that's why it's going to hurt when you're going to see, you know, like you said, Duncan and uh, Damon the third chatting it up, talking, you know, just kind of say, you know, maybe he's just a really kind of down to earth guy. Mm-hmm. And then just it's going to it's going to really going to suck when I'm going to be shoving my sword through your throat. Yep. And so. Steven said it before, I'll say it right
0: now, like this really is one. It, it is the last time Bittersteel fights a blackfire Rebellion. But this really should be the last Blackfyre Rebellion. No, I mean, the next we, one doesn't we, even we, get we, to we, Westeros. Yeah. So, well, that's actually Westeros pulling a preemptive action so we can talk about yeah. that
2: yeah foreign expedition. yeah
0: but yeah and it's 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 effective yeah and so but it's not so effective because unfortunately like the blackfire specter still looms over egg's head because he's aware that that maylies is alive and that and that the, the these nine penny kings are gathering
2: well, I think it's interesting that you see that the 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 real decline in the Blackfire cause. I mean, certainly the fourth is a big decline from the third, but the fifth, the Blackfire cause can't even muster enough energy on its own anymore. It has to partner with these pirate kings and yes. the, these merchant princes and things like that. So at this point, with the when it comes to the ninepenny kings, the Blackfire cause doesn't even have the legs to stand anymore. That's and, a great
0: point. I like that. I like that a lot. And yes, that's very true. That's very true, is that it's also shown how corrupt and declined the Blackfire cause has become, where now it's just literally just obviously greed and obviously nothing but ambition.
2: I don't know if, you, if you've ever played uh, Have you ever played Red Dead Redemption 2? I have not. All right, well, I, I want to, but yeah. Not to spoil anything, but in the beginning of the game, you can see all of these great people that are in the Vanderlyn family. And then at the end of the game, you get two guys that like sign on for the last couple of jobs, and you just kind of see the decline between who the great Vanderlins were in the spring of 1899 and the winter of 1899 when everything is just decaying. Yeah. And that's that's what I see when I see the uh, when I see the Blackfire cause from the glorious, you know. The the role of legends that Eustace Oswald talks about in the first, and the successful military campaigns they have in the third, versus an abortive campaign in the fourth and the fifth. They don't even make it to Westeros, and they have to partner with this tyrant of Tyrosh and just like these really corrupt, yeah, obviously bad people. But I mean, Meleys doesn't no... even calls himself the bad apple.
0: <laughs> well, meleese is called Meili's the monstrous, and it's not just his physical appearance. He also kills his cousin.
2: Yeah, to become
0: le- off, yeah, yeah, to become the leader of the Golden Company. So he's he's not a good guy. He's a bad dude. Yeah. Huh. So I do want to talk a tiny bit, not not a tiny bit. Let's talk a little bit about about Egg's rule. So Egg, he's theoretically with with the end of the fourth blackfire rebellion and like and nine penny kings are are, are are in the background but they're clearly like grasping and desperate so he, he's allowed to f- really focus on on his mission and like his goal of like really being this reformer king and
2: i can, I can see him
0: and sol- solving the and w- what we talk about again is like unfortunately though the absence of dragons then he needs to find that nexus of of support
2: Behind him, so so I see him. I see Egg as once the fourth Black Fire is over, he's really seeing it as a validation of his rule, and he says, "Okay, I can mi- get my mission. You know, I I've got my my plan that I'm going to do. Let me build a big base of political support that I can then I will have all of this this strength that I need because as we've said before with the the Silver Age where." De, uh, crown prince Daron eventually becomes the champion of a faction mm-hmm. egg is going to build his faction his coalition of nobles and he's going to do that through marriage so he tries to get the tyrells and the tullies and the red wines and through uh, foster. and obviously history. and obviously the baratheons yep and the baratheons uh well no that happens after this let me yeah, but then we also have he takes tywin on as a cupbearer. so yeah. so so you've got uh you know you've got the 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 makings of this traditional feudal alliance mm-hmm. and then so you're thinking with you know shipping grain to the north winning a war okay those are the hard things those are done this is just getting a marriage that's the easy part
1: yep and, <laughs> and, <laughs> we're like
2: cuz oh boy and so so he's so then one after another marriage just collapses you have so- you have so, uh, Lionel Baratheon becomes a Storm King. Yeah, for
0: a brief time. Okay, so... Uh,
2: not since, I think...
0: Not since Jaharis. Arguably Makar, but really, I would say Jaharis, Had a king had such bad luck. Oh, yeah. And just such diminishing res- results for his kids. Hmm. I'm just like, wow... Yeah. And the only kid – and here's the sad – the the really saddest part. The only kid that did what was what they were supposed to do was Rayla, and she was the mother of th- – the grandmother of the person who would end his – the Targaryen dynasty.
2: Yeah. So – Yeah, that, that is – it's kind of funny. But yeah, you can see how he's trying to do this. I, I mean – it, yeah, it's great because I like it because it articulates a vision for kingship that we really haven't had since really Jaharis. I mean, Ares had a clear vision for king. I'm not going to do anything, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can certainly see with Daron muddling his way through his peace proposal. But really, Jaharis had a vision. He says, I'm going to get my sept in Barth. I'm going to yep. get my I'm going to get all my guys. And then you have Viserys who had his vision and then died before he could do anything about it. But Aegon has a vision and it collapses spectacularly
0: yeah well that's part of my thing is that and what we said in our two-parter on Aegon, on egg is that he really is the last gasp of of greatness for the targaryen dynasty he is the last dragon of the targaryens and he boy oh boy does he try and so getting to the point where he has to turn to Trying to hash the dragons is when you've seen it's all failed around him because of his dagon kids. Just like he keeps on trying, and he he just wants to be be more than just like a de- like as basically quite frankly his father of just like a decent king. He wants to be to do to be this visionary great king, yeah. and just like well, the lords are 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 dra- understandably dragging their heels, and his kids are just not being his
2: allies, so he has to turn to. All right, maybe dragons. Okay, maybe dragons. Well, I mean, you can see it with this whole— I mean, this is the existential crisis of the monarchy we were talking about. They lost the dragons, so they tried to build something. They came up with this idea of building feudal alliances, but now the alliances failed. So now Aegon has has his existential crisis of the monarchy again, so he reaches back to the thing that was more powerful than the dynastic alliance, which was the dragons. Now— it's a pity that Stephen left because he has a great theory on Summerhall. We, we we've discussed it before. We can oh, okay. talk about it now. We we we've had it, him on before to
0: talk about it. So yeah, I uh, love Stephen's theory, and we'll say it right now. That is Stephen's theory is total war with the human heart. Mm-hmm. It is 100% war with the human heart. It is how do you hatch a dragon? How did Danny hatch a dragon? Mm. Blood for blood. It's so and I have, so yeah, i i i, I sp- honestly I, I it's sad but i 100 percent agree with it is that yeah egg was gathering those seven s- eggs and he was about to sacrifice baby Rhaegar. he was totally yes i think yes
1: so, yes he was
0: gonna do uh, this crazy blood magic ritual to sacrifice baby Rhaegar to hatch the dragons and dunk stopped him
2: so i had have- and- a I have a slight yeah. variant on that theory. Um, this is, I mean, I articulated the idea of the nuts and bolts of the theory before I ever heard of uh, a- a- Atwell's uh, blood magic sacrifice Rhaegar theory, but it works out so well. So my, my thought was, everything we're told about dragons is that dragons are fire made flesh. Mm-hmm. So, so they, are, they are fire contained in flesh. So you have wildfire, that's the fire... And the idea is that you can do blood magic to, to create the flesh to, in order to contain it. You will house that fire and that will unfossilize the egg just as the way Danny did it. So again, that was more what I didn't think about sacrificing Rhaegar or anything like that. I was just more worried about the actual nuts and bolts of the magic. <laughs> I, it's just, well, we're yeah. wired different. We're wired different ways. Well, but um, so my theory was Aegon tried to cheat the ritual first. So he brought all of the Targaryens together and they were going to slit their palms. And that was going to be the, but you know, blood magic ain't so easily cheated. You don't, you don't spill a couple of drops of blood and you get some, it takes real sacrifice. Certainly. I mean, in, in literature, the idea of sacrifices, meaning something is actually important. I mean, we certainly saw that with the Azor Ahai myth where he says, you know, you know, know that I love you best of all things in the world is not Azor High speaking flowery prose. It's him articulating that the sacrifice is actually meaningful. In order to save the world, I must sacrifice that which I hold most dear into it so that the world is no longer wonderful, even though I do save it, this idea of sacrifice. So that was- Hear that, went, Stannis? Yep. It's, so that we yeah. see- yeah. So I love that theory, and and whether it's uh whether the ritual fails because Aegon tried to cheat it, whether Dunk interrupts it because he wants to save Rhaegar, because that you know what's the life of a what's the life or what's the value of the foot of a hedge knight or something like that ends up being, yeah, that big. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, he already proved how po- important the foot of a hedge knight
0: was when he when he chopped off Daemon the Third's head and ended the Fourth Blackfyre Rebellion just like that, yeah. but. Yes, yes, that is when, especially if saving, saving baby Rhaegar, then sa- begets the line of Jon Snow, who then saves everyone from
2: the others. Well, I mean, well, that, maybe that, that's the yeah you know, the weird vagaries of fate and and yep. that that sort of thing. And then you have, but you I mean you have so many other contributing factors that you can't really say that you know for want of you know for want of a hedge knight's foot the entire yeah. <laughs> world falls to the others. You can't really say that. Yeah. Um but you know, it's it's just interesting and so you see where this again going back cuz I mean that was the original thing about this entire series was the existential crisis of the monarchy following the death of the dragons. And then you can see where this existential crisis comes again in Aegon going back to the dragons, but that age is lost. It's yep. just like saying you can't go home again with yeah. the, with the, with the Aegon the fifth monarchy is that you can't go home again. The dragons are gone. They're not going to come back for another what, uh, fifty, sixty, some years. Yeah. Something so like that. yeah, yeah, around that. Uh, and so it ends up ending in tragedy. And I mean, I know we're going to talk a little bit when yeah. we go into the next episode. We can really talk about what Summerhall meant to the the king or the the various nobles of Westeros, because uh, that that's just that wouldn't be right for right here because we would just be leaving people on a living people hanging and not even in the good cliffhanger sense.
0: <laughs> but let, let's uh, go, let's, fin- well,
2: let's finish up with the, uh, the nine penny.
0: Okay. Um. So, so then we get to the reign of Jaharis II, who I will, I dub Jaharis the hypocrite. So I like Prince Duncan, the small Prince Duncan, the small is like annoying, but at say he's not a hypocrite, which Jaharis is of Jaehaerys, like, I want to incestuously marry. And it's like, for love, though. It's like, okay, that's creepy and not good, but okay. And then I'm going to force my son and daughter to marry just to get the
2: prince that was promised prophecy. I mean, chasing prophecies always ends up causing heartbreak and, and heartache. I mean, it never, it never saves you. I mean, it's just like with Cersei. Cersei spends her whole life trying to, you know, circumvent the valonkar pof- prophecy and she uses it to justify her hatred of Tyrion. and then you know of course the tragedy is all of that effort and she misses that it's actually jamie that's the valonkar yep. and it's yeah. her actions that are causing him to turn on her yep
0: absolutely well i mean that's always the the fun and i love this in uh, martin's writing is that we get things like that we got the, that the prince w- who was promised well, there's a preview to the ray when we talk about Rhaegar, but that's what destroys Rhaegar is this whole
2: prince who is promised prophecy chasing the princess or or chasing the the prince that was promised. Uh, But I mean, that, that goes all the way back. um, That always goes all the way back to, to ancient, um, ancient mythology, where it is, uh, you know the the prop the Oracle of Delphi tells the uh, the king of Greece and they says if you march a great army will be destroyed and he says <laughs> oh okay well that means I'm going to defeat my enemies it was a uh, king Croesus and they yeah. say uh, if you march a great enemy will or a great army will be destroyed and a great king will fall and it turns out no it was himself yep. that so you know this subjective identity of prophecy is always a, a great literary font. I always love that. I always love that kind of thing happening. Yeah, uh, but e- I will e- give— Oedipus of trying to so desperately avoid his fate, he causes his fate. It's yeah. always good. There's a saying, you often meet your fate on the road you take to avoid it. But I will <laughs> I will give Jaharis II some props because he did organize a foreign expedition that did a tremendous job. Foreign expeditions are not easy to do, especially in the, well, let's just say degraded administrative capacity that medieval— uh, medieval era is known for. You know, they're not really the yeah. the most centralized of governments. So organizing enough, um, a foreign expedition that comes from so many regions to successfully prosecute a landing on foreign soil and defeating a an army as experienced as the Golden Company is not bad. And he was even willing to to go on campaign himself. Now his delicate constitution meant that he was not going to. to. To actually do it. Yes. But okay, well
0: I will say this about Jaharis II. Jaharis II to me is is um the rare reversal that we've that Martin himself doesn't go into much of like he always said said um and explaining um he used Jimmy Carter as his analogy, but the often question of like the Aragorn fallacy of like, well, a good person always makes a good king. And he's done plenty of cases where it's like, well a good person was sometimes a bad king, like ultimately, no. in some ways, sadly, not egg, but kind of egg, mm-hmm. but but other yeah. other cases where just like Robert, of like clearly, like you were a good guy, but then like ooh, you weren't good as king, and yep.
2: uh, well, I mean, it's just this, yeah, this, I mean, this is
0: the this is the more this is an interesting reversal where it's like a bad guy can actually be decent at the job of yeah. being king because Jehan Harris II is, and um and rightfully so uh Barriston the bowl. the only king he liked serving under who he thought was worthy was egg like the ii was like the start of like this unworthy king that he served and the start of like the trickle down of like ugh, i keep on like doing what i'm supposed to do but i'm serving like but i'm in service to this bad king so what do
2: i do well Barristan was never actually didn't actually serve under he and, wasn't Kingsguard, guard yeah. but he, but he did like yeah, I mean yeah he, but fought, he was a I knight mean, was, but yes. Yeah, he was a knight but yeah, I mean and even Jaharis II because he was named as the as a Kingsguard uh after the war of the ninepenny kings and then it's only maybe a year or two before Jaharis II kicks it. So I mean I could see just not real I mean certainly you know he there was a lot of in there was weakness at the top certainly. But I mean I I would wonder I think that maybe Jaharis II just really wasn't just didn't do much of anything that he wouldn't be really be seen as a uh, as as kind of in anything. You would have been a, just a blip on the radar, really.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, credit where credit is due, and is that he he wants to like say like, no, this Blackfire plague is ending now. Yeah. Like, I'm not even gonna let them be a chance. I'm I'm gonna end it now. So he goes for a preemptive war and. You called it a successful foreign expedition. I'm sorry, I'm uh, it, it has been a while since I've reread it, but the thing about the War of the Nine-Penny Kings is all of their leaders keep on dying, of the Westerosi leaders keep on dying, and so it's like their fourth general or something, that's the one that finally leads the successful campaign that ends them once and for all. It's just they keep on dying in this foreign land, it's more. Uh, I I I liken it a little bit to the Crusades. of just like that. It's like it's these medieval people going to this foreign land and
2: not really knowing where they are and so so they're kind of the, bungling it and just only one of the senior generals died in the war of the Nine Penny Kings. It was just Ormond Baratheon because afterwards Gerald Hightower was the senior leader and he was alive until the uh, until the Tower of Joy. Okay. All right. Maybe yeah. I no, no. It's a, details, but you're, yeah. you're thinking of Jason Lannister dying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah I mean, certainly some people, some people die. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we hear with the, the broken man speech and stuff like that, a lot of that was also disease. I mean, but that, that,
0: that, that broken man speech of just like, that's really what the, this damn nine, War of Nine Penny Kings was. It wasn't, it's like it to, to present like the, the Barriston account of it. As this glorious war that rid the realm finally of the scourge of the Black Fire he's like, no, it wasn't.
2: Well, it was I actually like... I liken it to the Spanish American War, actually. Okay. Uh, so it's 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 Westeros' splendid little war. The uh, I mean the the splendid little war is a it's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt who wrote yeah. about the uh the I mean I mean he wrote just some outrageous stuff. It was like uh you know in the uh, in the sick Uh, in the sick tent, uh, they were all singing, uh, the national anthem and one man died as the last note was sung. I mean, this is the, the, I mean, if if it was any more ridiculous, a bald eagle would come and cry like, yeah, it was an absolutely ridiculous thing. But this idea of this, uh, the splendid little war is, there was a thing that did happen was a lot of North South reconciliation did happen in the war and that the war, Spanish American war happened, uh. Uh, right before the uh, the beginning of the 20th century so about mm-hmm. 30 years after the civil, civil war, war. Yep. and so you could see a lot i mean there was actually a, a southern general was one of the leaders and um uh, during the uh, uh, during the Spanish-American War so you can kind of see with the the bonds that were formed in the mm-hmm. uh, in Westeros during that uh, with you have you know Baelish's father getting in good with Hoster Tully and you have all of these different people coming together. And they, these would be people you never meet. You never meet. I mean, you know, a Northman would never meet a Dornishman just because of the sheer geography of it, unless one of them was on a trip somewhere. Yep. But here you go. You're at the campfire. You're drinking. You're singing. Someone mm-hmm. tells a story from, you know, uh, this, the Reach. And someone in the veil vale says, you know, we have something similar. It goes a little like this. And so you can actually see in that, that's actually – In a single moment, not you have, you know, not for very long, and it doesn't last. But you actually see this idea of a united Westeros in the War of the Nine Penny Kings. It's 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 elusive. It's it's like a like a candle on the horizon, a dancing light in the swamp. And this is actually a there.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I'll ultimately agree with you. Ultimately, yes. To to J Harris's credit. And to the credit of, of Westeros, this is something that is guiding to what what we're going to talk about in the next episode of this false spring, this glimmer, this hope of spring, this dream of spring, if you will. Because Westeros is uniting and being proactive to end the Scourge of the Blackfyre Rebellion. They are successful. During this time, you have... Sir Tywin Lannister, knighting his his good friend, yep. Prince Ares,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who is betrothed to a, to his princess. They marry—and bef- then—and he's also good friends with Lord Stefan Baratheon, yep. who's his uh, cousin yep. by blood. And everything is seemingly going in the right direction. And Jaehaerys the Hypocrite also— inconveniently or maybe conveniently some might say then
2: dies yeah it's and something you, something small too like uh i mean they said illness i think yeah just illness yeah so no, nothing sinister this
0: nothing, time yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah unless you want to believe tywin did everything evil but yeah uh and and now suddenly you got this wonderful situation jim after a hundred miserable years of recurring Blackfire rebellions, the Blackfires are gone, and Westeros is, being ru- is, is now about to be ruled by this wise, charming, young prince. What well, can possibly go wrong? Tune in, tune in next week to find out what goes wrong. <laughs> so um, but before we leave, any
2: final thoughts on this Blackfire era? So it, it's interesting to see where the era before dealt with an existential crisis of the monarchy, and this was an existential threat, which in many ways kind of circumvented the need for a uh, a foundation for the monarchy, save as it needs to pres- preserve itself and maintain itself in the, the face of this threat. So now without a threat, the monarchy is now going to be in in a sense reforged i mean certainly aries ii on his on his ascension day states very much so that he wants to be a visionary leader Jaharis the great style where he's going to usher forth a new age yeah so now we can see absent a threat what will the monarchy do i think i'll leave with just that The
0: Blackfire Rebellions is the story of the tarnishing of an ideal. It is the ideal of of Damon, of, of theoretically this wronged usurp, of this wrongfully usurped king pursuing his right, failing, and then this noble idea being pursued time and time again. And each time it diminishes until by the end it's become this parody of itself with the nine penny kings where it's where literally the blackfire heir is a monster and he's allied himself with clear thugs and you also get a case of of that civil war is bred by by incompetence and that you when you have a an effective king it yeah. rebellions don't happen
1: yeah, when you have an weekends, ineffective yeah. king
0: yeah they they will happen with an effective king as as it happened with Darren, yeah. the second. But it, it is vastly strengthened and weakened by
2: how effective a ruler you have in charge. Yeah, you can't stop you can't stop bad things from happening. I mean, you couldn't stop the Great Spring Sickness. There was a rebellion at Starpike. Uh, Aegon had to deal with the Fourth Blackfyre Rebellion. But good leadership at the top finds a way to answer the problems yeah the problem is is that you need good leadership at the top and
0: what happens and to preview the next episode uh, it, beyond what what, what jim has wonderfully said when you also have so what happens when you unfortunately have have a decent leader in opposition to a horrendous egomaniac so we'll leave it at that see you next week to find out how it all falls apart And all these false, yeah. I believe we call it the era of rot. Is what we call the rotten era. The rotten era. I would call it the era of false springs to be a bit nicer. But the rotten era is also good. (laughs) Because we'll we'll see how far we get in that. See you then.